0: Together, we're going to dive deep into raw and honest conversations with real people. My hope is that through these stories, you too will be inspired and ready to tackle whatever's holding you back or breaking your heart. Then you'll be free to live a life of purpose and true fulfillment. I promise it's possible. Let's relevate. Hey, friends, do I have a story of hope and inspiration for you today? Laura McGregor is a wife, mom of two teenage boys, an entrepreneur and philanthropist, and founder of the nonprofit organization Hope Scarves. Now living through multiple occurrences of breast cancer, Laura is here to teach us all how to live when contrasting forces are at play in our lives at the same time. Things like joy and fear, strength and weakness. What a blessing it was for me personally to share this time with the next level, inspire of others, or hope slinger as she prefers to call herself. Well, hey, Laura McGregor, welcome to the Relevate podcast.
1: Thank you for having me. I'm so
0: glad to be here. Oh my gosh. Well, we uh, I found you on social media. I'm not exactly sure how I discovered you or got connected with you, but I've just been so so overwhelmed and touched by your story and Mm. how you are, um, you're taking a really tough diagnosis and you're just being incredibly brave and forthright and uh, just choosing to be a beacon of hope. So I just thank you so much for spending a few minutes here on the Relevate podcast to share a little bit more about your story because I think um, you are, you you are pure inspiration and light. And that's yeah. really the heart of this podcast is to really mm. um, you know, life gets tough for for all of us and the tough looks different for each and every one of us. And I'm just excited to learn more
1: about your story. Oh, thank you for those kind words. So yeah, my my story as it relates to my my perseverance and my my life with cancer starts in 2007. I was 30 years old and seven months pregnant when I was diagnosed with stage two breast cancer. And, and like any cancer out of the diagnosis, blue, it, was, I'm sure it was, oh my gosh, I was like r- running, you know, yogi, organic food, eating, like mm. super healthy, no family history, it just kind of came completely out of the blue. And um, a cancer diagnosis rocks any family. It certainly was really overwhelming for us being 30 and, you know, oh, pregnant and, um, just trying to understand what that meant, for sure. but we had a really great team of doctors that guided us through chemotherapy and surgeries and, you know, everything, um, and an amazing support community of friends and family and really lived in this like alternative reality of cancer for about a year. Mm-hmm. And our son Bennett was born healthy And full term, um, he did have, um, chemo with me. We had, we had four rounds of chemo together Mm -hmm. while I was pregnant and, um, but he was healthy. And today he's a, a 13 year old, um, athlete, you know, scholar, super social, like no lasting effects of his, you know, trying that had to be terrifying moments of life, but had um, to
0: be a terrifying as a mom to just.
1: I mean, you, you know, you, you try so hard to create, a uh, the healthiest pregnancy that you can sure. and the healthiest environment for your unborn child. And then I can just remember the first day sitting there with my hands on my very pregnant belly and just feeling him kick while I watched these toxic chemicals get pumped directly into my veins. And I'm thinking what in the world is happening? Like, how did we get here? How is this our reality? Um, it was just, it was crazy, but um, we felt throughout that process that we had a series of steps that were going to lead us to remission, you know, X number of chemo, certain number of surgeries, everything that we could do to um, help us get through it. And we did, and I was um, deemed, you know, um, cancer-free after my treatment and, went on to live, um, seven years of very healthy, active cancer survivor, running marathons and climbing mountains and just feeling this renewed sense of gratitude for life. Having lived through such, you know, trauma as a young mom and as a young family, we just really had a, a different perspective on life. And, um, in 2014, um, so Laura, seven I'm years sorry, after before,
0: my... before you oh, yeah. go
1: on with, with that part of the story. So I understand yeah.
0: there was a gift you received.
1: Yeah. That first, yeah. Um... Yeah. So part of my original diagnosis story includes that, um, I got this box out of the blue from a friend of a friend mm-hmm. named Kelly and, um, she, I had never met her, but she had faced cancer as a 29 year old and, um, just wrote me this really sweet note that said, you can do this. And just Mm. with a box of scarves. And I hadn't given much thought to losing my hair because we also had a two-year-old toddler at home and we were renovating a house and living in a rental. And I was trying to get our family back in before the holidays. Mm. And so like me losing my hair was not even top priority. And so it was like this gift was so practical. But also just so inspiring, knowing this young mom, or this young woman had faced cancer and had made it and was now passing on her strength and encouragement to me. So I wore Kelly's scarves throughout my whole treatment. and every time I put them on, I just felt her love and encouragement. And after I finished treatment, um, that year of you know all of the, the alternative realities, I like to call the cancer world. Um, I asked her for her address so I could send them back to her. And she said, just find somebody else who can use them. And so I took them to a conference for a young woman with breast cancer. And I met a woman from Pittsburgh named Roberta. And I could tell, um, she was wearing this itchy wig and, um, was newly diagnosed. And I went over and I asked her if I could, um, give her these scarves. And I told her about Kelly and I told her my story. And I realized in that exchange how much these scarves meant to me to receive them as a newly diagnosed patient and someone looking for connection and hope and also just this practical resource, but then how much it meant for me to give them to Roberta and to pass them on and to tell her my story and to share my strength with her. And in that moment, I realized, you know, I started dreaming about this idea of Hope Scarves. And that's the nonprofit that I started um, from that very personal experience of receiving yeah. and then giving that first scarf. And I started in my spare bedroom of my house with my two-year-old volunteer and um, <laughs> just started it. collecting survivor stories and scarves and built a website, You know, wrote a business plan and um, had really big hopes and dreams mm-hmm. for this nonprofit. I, my whole career has been a nonprofit. So I had a foundation and fundraising and communication i had just hadn't actually started my own organization yeah. um but it just took off it um clearly resonated in the survivor community and in the patient community and just grew and grew and now 10 years later hope scarves has sent over 22,000 scarves to every state in 29 countries and our oldest recipient is 97. Mm. Our youngest is six months old. And um, we still carry that same simple message that was in that very first box of scarves that I got from Kelly, which is you know this idea of not being alone, of feeling connected, of helping people feel common ground and, and supported um, by what we have come to call the sisterhood of the traveling scarves. So it was just a really um, meaningful way for me to make sense of what had happened to us. I didn't want cancer to have the last word. Like I couldn't take away the fact that cancer had disrupted our life and our family, but I could choose what to do with it. And I chose to use that experience to create this organization that I hoped would have a ripple effect of hope um in to thousands and it has it's been just amazing to see the community of support that has been created through my personal experience and just the vision i had to create love and support amongst people facing cancer it's all types of cancer um and we share scarves in three ways so if you have cancer yourself you can request a scarf at no cost on our website hopescarves.org we have a gift scarf program. So if you know someone facing cancer, you can send a scarf to them and include a personal message. And what I love is that our personal and our gift scarves are just about equal in the number of requests that we get, which I think is really beautiful because so many people want to do something meaningful for the people they care about. And we can help them do that. And that is just really important to me. And then the third distribution channel is our partnership program where we work with hospitals and cancer support organizations Mm -hmm. to have scarves where people are already going for support. So they could get a scarf at their chemo infusion or at their support group. And we have about 50 partnerships across the country right now where we work, um, with hospitals and cancer support organizations. So it's really become this beautiful network of love and, and support and just helping cancer patients of all ages and stages and types of cancer, you know, feel connected and supported by this community.
0: Yeah. And I, I a scarf is so symbolic. It, you know, it's, mm. it's a covering, but it's beautiful. It's soft. It's comforting. I mean, it's, it's all those things and what a an impractical. Yeah. Fishworm. I mean, it's, yeah.
1: I mean, it's just, I, I am wear scarves every day and, 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 it's, you know, every time you put it on, it just kind of like a a little hug for your head and it can help you feel, especially as women, you know, losing our hair really changes how we look and how we feel about ourselves and putting on a, a really beautiful, you know, colorful scarf can really lift your spirits. And, um, so it, it does, I think it carries a special meaning and, and every scarf comes with a survivor story. And so, you know, the word you can you know you can read the words of of someone else who's been there and just feel their love every time you put that scarf on
0: awesome okay my dear so you were cancer free for an extended period of time and yeah. then um were you feeling sick or was it just a
1: yeah you know living my best life like had I hope scarves was going like gangbusters i was um training for um a trail run it was like you know, really active in my kid's school. And I just started having some low back pain. And I thought maybe it was from the running I was doing, or maybe cause I was sitting on the computer more than usual. Cause I was really busy. at hope scarves. Um, and I ended up getting an MRI really not thinking it was cancer. I just really not even really worried about it at that point. It just it hadn't, you know, it wasn't, I didn't live in fear. I'm really glad for that. I lived I didn't live, you know, worried about the cancer coming back in those seven years, but the MRI revealed I had a fist sized tumor in my sacrum Mm -hmm. and we did a biopsy. It was metastatic breast cancer. And so I just was living every cancer survivor's Mm -hmm. worst nightmare and getting thrown back into the world of cancer. And at that point being stage four. And, um, it's very, very different than an early stage diagnosis because in an early stage, you have a very clear path of treatment and you have a light at the end of the tunnel and hope for remission. But what a lot of people don't realize is that when breast cancer metastasizes, so it's spreads beyond your sentinel lymph nodes, typically in breast cancer, it, it starts in your bones, your lung, your liver, or your brain, but it can go anywhere. Um, that's stage four. And that diagnosis has a two to three year survival rate. And about 115 people in the United States die every day of metastatic breast cancer. And so when you hear of someone dying of breast cancer, they die of stage four breast cancer. People who have local breast cancer or even a local recurrence and remain stage one through three can live long healthy life with a hope of remission or being no evidence of active disease once you become metastatic you can have therapies that might put you into no evidence of disease but the cancer never goes away and so this was a really big transition point from living as a survivor who had you know, beat cancer and was strong and power, you know, this powerful kind of the whole narrative, you know, that goes around breast cancer. Um, I really realized how short-sighted that was. Um, I was a thrown into this world that made me understand metastatic disease and really actually made me quite frustrated because of the lack of funding for research And just the lack of understanding, even in the breast cancer community of the difference between an early stage and a late stage diagnosis, I was very fortunate in that the cancer that I had, um, responded to my treatments. So it was very estrogen driven. So I had my ovaries removed and I started on a drug that would block the estrogen even further that was in my body. And I, I went back into Um, no evidence of disease and was very fortunate to, um, respond to treatment for almost five years where I was running and, you know, look completely healthy. It was very confusing to many people because I still had stage four terminal cancer, but I was completely living a full and healthy, happy life. Um, but I was in constant treatment. I took a drug every morning. I saw a doctor every month. I mean, I was being monitored really, really closely. But I was an outlier. I responded very well to the therapies that were available to me. Um, But about a year and a half ago, so right in the midst of the pandemic, um, the cancer started not responding to treatment anymore. And it mutated. We were able to do a biopsy to find out that it had um, lost its estrogen sensitivity. And that basically meant the drugs that I was on we no longer working. Mm-hmm. And so I had to start IV chemo. And, and really from there, since then, I have been on a steady decline and we haven't found anything that really has stopped the cancer. We've It's been very hard and my body is really tired. And I now have cancer in my, the lining of my lungs and the lining of my abdomen. So I have a and a crazy amount of fluid buildup mm-hmm. that I have to drain from my abdomen and my lungs on a regular basis makes it really hard to breathe, which is why I have this weird, like, breathing cadence when I talk. I just can't get quite enough oxygen. Mm-hmm. Um, and has just been very, very devastating for our family to live in this new way. I feel like I'm a shadow of who I once was and all, my very capable, strong self. So, you know, I've had to redefine hope I've had to redefine living. Um, I was really good at, at living well with metastatic disease. And I am still trying to figure out how to decline well and find the balance of like acceptance versus, you know, pushing towards wellness. Um, it's a really delicate balance when you're in this position you know, I'm always working towards wellness. I just came from a acupuncture appointment. I'm constantly trying to make my body stronger. And, mm-hmm. um, even if the cancer is overtaking, like what, what can I do to still everything? I want to do everything I can to make my body as strong as I can for as long as I can. But at the same time, there's a level of acceptance, mm-hmm. which is, I might not have the tools on this earth to control this. Mm-hmm. And it's not because I'm I didn't fight harder, you know, hard enough or what I didn't get the right treatments. It's just the way it goes. So we're in a really precarious spot right now. Well,
0: I, um, I can easily
1: see how
0: that type of illness, it could be completely overwhelming just with, with all the medical, all the research, all the, all the stuff. It can, it Mm -hmm. it could just take you down like with depression and everything and I'm sure there have been days that you've struggled, but you've really reached for the hope card in walking out this diagnosis. Where do you think that came from?
1: Well, I have always been someone who just wants to live life to the fullest. Even before cancer, I was um, just embraced life, you know, with both hands and, um after my cancer diagnosis and just having experienced my mortality you know at 30 you know we've lived these last 15 years with just this extra uh, just recognition of how fragile it is and how special and beautiful it is mm-hmm. and so my go-to reaction always is hope even when i'm like i'm trying to understand my diagnosis and you know, I'm like, but this be, you know, da, da 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 like, I just, that's just the way I pr- approach things. Um, I'm always looking at, you know, what might be and what the possibilities are. I'm very much a visionary. And, um, so that's just how I have, I have learned to live. Um, but I don't call myself an optimist in the sense that like, I think everything's going to just, everything's perfect and rosy and okay. Mm-hmm. The difference for me, and I think it's really important to articulate is that I have learned how to hold joy and fear in the same hand at the same time, regardless of what the outcome is. And so that's very different than just being an optimist and hoping everything works out and, you know, being positive and, and, you know, like everything hinging in things being okay. Um, for me, hope is, bigger than the situation. It's not contingent on the outcome. It's about finding love and joy, not because the struggle is resolved, but in the midst of the pain and accepting that there's both, you know, I'm both healthy and sick. I am both living and dying. I am weak and strong and Allowing for both those things to be true has allowed me to, you know, just to live more fully and not wait for the joy, you know, not hold out hope for things to work out. Cause I just, I can't, I've got to, I've got to, instead of waiting for the light at the end of the tunnel, I have to be the light myself and figure out how to live in the darkness. Right.
0: And I get, I get so aggravated with people who think they have, just infinite amount of time. I mean, we have a teenager who had a terrible accident and lost his life last Friday. I mean, we just, mm. you know, we don't know how long we have. And I think you've chosen to, you, you're embracing it. You're embracing it all. <laughs> you're not mm-hmm. in denial. You're, you're, you're like, okay, this is the hand I've been dealt, and I'm going to live it out as best yeah. I can. So. Such an inspiration for sure.
1: Hmm. Well, thank you. For sure. I kind of can't figure out any other way to do it. (laughs) I know, but
0: a whole lot, a whole lot of grace, sister. Hmm. So help us understand, because I think a lot of well-meaning people say some really bad things when people are going through illness. (laughs) Is there can you kind of coach us through some of those to help us Hmm. be better? Well, you know, there's
1: a term that I think people throw around a lot that's called toxic positivity mm -hmm. that can really be triggering for cancer patients. Mm -hmm. And, um, an example of that would be like, if I'm talking about how I'm feeling and I have a lot of swelling in my legs and they're really hurting, um, my friend saying something like, well, let's put your legs up and you know, you, but you look so good. You just, you know, like, so like, um, and your toes look so cute. You have such a cute pedicure. Um, so they're trying to lift me up. They're trying to make me feel better, but they're not acknowledging the pain. And by dismissing the pain, what I expressed is what was hard for me. They are diminishing it. And I think a lot of times people are quick to turn to positivity because they don't want to go deep and sad, but if someone is saying something is hurting or something is hard, right. you can just pause and be there with them. That sounds really hard. I can't imagine what this feels like, but can I massage your legs? Would that help? You know, like don't be quick to rush to the positive. Um, I think that's really important and it happens a ton in cancer patients. Um, The other thing that I am really encourage people to do or not do, I guess you could say um, is to not say, um, let me know how I can help. I'm thinking about you and praying for you. Let me know what you need because I guarantee The person who's going through cancer treatment or whatever tragic experience they are facing is not keeping a list of the people who say, let me know how I can help. So they can refer back to it for assistance. Mm -hmm. Um, Instead, I tell people to act, don't ask. Mm -hmm. And some examples of that, you know, it really depends on how well, you know, the person, but instead of saying, let me know what you need, you can say, I'm at target What can I pick up for you? If I don't hear from you while I'm here, I'm going to just get some staples like laundry detergent, milk, bread, and eggs. And I'm going to leave it by your back door. Um, just showing, just showing up for people, um, you know, right now the holidays, um, see if you can decorate their house. Can you, can you do their pots? And, you know, put some greens in their pots um, or wrap their presents or, but like come with an action, come with Mm a, and it it does depend how how well, you know, a person, you know, you don't want to just like barge into their lives, (laughs) but if you don't know them that well, just buy them a Starbucks gift card and, you know, like just show action, show love as opposed to asking, because it's really overwhelming to the patient to ask for help. And it's hard, especially for women to ask for help. I tell patients all the time that, and I have had to tell myself this, that re- receiving love is an, or receiving help is an act of love. Yes. Just as much as giving help helps, you know, that the, the giver feel like they're, you know, expressing their love by allowing someone to help you. You're expressing that you're love to them. And it's not a sign of weakness to have someone else rake your backyard. It's a sign of love.
0: And you have two teenage boys in the house. The boys have got to eat.
1: I do. I do.
0: Yeah. I'm
1: like, we get three (laughs) meals a week from friends. Um, And it's such a huge help. And I've had a meal train set up since September and three meals a week delivered and tons of you know, Uber Eats and Grubhub gift cards. And um it, yeah. I mean, my husband and I are both professionals, you know, trying to keep some semblance of normalcy for our children and their very busy active lives. And um so it's just awesome for people to to step in and help. And I literally this weekend I had two friends, a lot of you know friends saying, look, how what can we do? What do we need? And I said, Sunday is going to be a raking day at the McGregor's, bring your rake and bring some leaf bags. And people just showed up and, you know, my husband was like, we don't need that. That's going to, you know, he, (laughs) he was like, I can do it. And I I just looked at him and I was like, you can, you absolutely can. But instead we're going to have a group of people out here and it's going to go twice as fast and you can be out there with them. But, and he, he realized after they left, he realized, okay, it wasn't so bad. (laughs)
0: Well, and that's, that is love. That's people loving, yeah. loving on you. And yeah. I think that that's just really, really good practical advice to give people because, you know, like I said, we're well-intentioned, but a lot of times it's just, you know, people have, yeah. a, have a hard time. And, and we need to get better at being bold and, and loving those and serving those who, who need our help because most people, you know, most p- people want to help. Yeah, so I understand you just had a birthday. I did. Forty five. Got to go to the beach and
1: yeah, we escaped a little bit with our family, my parents, my brother and his wife and their baby. And um, my birthday was over Thanksgiving week, so I was able to um, get. We were all able to get away for a week, and a dear friend gave us her house um, in Florida. And it was a hard, it was a hard week because in my head, somehow I thought maybe being on vacation was going to just make me feel better. Mm -hmm. And, um, it didn't, you know, I felt really terrible, but I was glad to feel terrible looking at the ocean. (laughs) Um, and to see my family and my my boys be able to fish and Mm -hmm. kayak and, you know, just do things that they love and, and um, for us all to be together, but it's, you know, even vacations and adjustment I have to be in a wheelchair, you know, going through the airport and, um, it's hard. It's a lot of, it's, you know, everything is just a little harder for me right now, but I'm trying to just lean into the gratitude instead of the, the hard, but allowing for the hard, you know, allowing for the tears just as much as the laughter. Yeah, for sure. And, um, boys are
0: good husband that I know family.
1: Uh, yeah. You know, it's hard. It's it's hard on everybody. It's not easy um, for anyone right now. And we're living in this alternative reality again. And our boys are, and my husband are used to me, you know, running around and being really active and just um, really engaged in life. And what I, I'm not right now, I'm on the couch most days and. I have an oxygen machine and, um, you know, I can engage with them in conversation, but I'm not out, you know, getting their rebounds when they're doing three point drills in the driveway anymore. Um, and I'm just a different kind of mom than I've been their life, you know, their whole life. Um, so they see that and I know they're worried and they're scared. And, um, we just try to just live one day at a time. Don't get too far ahead of ourselves with the worry and the fear and the what ifs of tomorrow. Um, I think that's hard for adults to process. It's really hard for teenagers. And so we just focus on today and we're open with them. They know what's happening. We don't hide things from them as far as, you know, what is happening medically for me, but in the same way, we just try to be really grounded in today and, and just take it one day at a time.
0: Well, I love how you've used your platform to to inspire, but also to inform. And when you have test results, you you know you take to social media and give everybody an update, so you don't have to take all those calls. And that that takes courage, but that's being really smart too.
1: Well, you know, at first I w- it was just out of convenience because my husband and I have moved a couple of times and we have a, a great network of friends in several different States and just a really big family. And it was easier for me to just be like, I'm going to, you know, share a post with an update. Um, but over the past couple of years, my following has really exploded. And so now when I share, I'm like, maybe I'm like a little bit of an oversharer because this is no longer friends and family. Like I, I don't know, 15,000 people, Um, and it's like internet people all over the world. And so I'm sharing like my very personal details with strangers in New Zealand, um, who offer support and kindness. And, you know, I guess I'm just kind of going to see how that, how that goes. Like if I get to a point where that doesn't feel right anymore because of the platform being so big, you know, maybe I won't be quite as detailed or, but right now it feels like an opportunity to educate and help exactly. people understand and yeah. find perspective in their own lives and also i've always been really active and um engaged you know with hope scarves or whatever i was you know doing and right now when i can't physically do as much this is actually giving me an outlet for creativity and for storytelling and for community building that is different but so similar to the work I was already doing at hope scarves and my hopeful life. And, um, so it helped it's, you know, it's life-giving to me to share my story and to see how people relate to it. So I am going to be careful not to be like super overshare, but it's fun. Just, it's been amazing (laughs) to see the outpouring of support. (laughs) I know.
0: That's a gift. So we are all, whether we realize it or not, we're always writing our legacy story. Our legacy story. So, Laura, what is the headline for your legacy story?
1: Oh, um, a life well loved. That's beautiful.
0: That's beautiful.
1: Yeah.
0: Well. I thank you so much for being here. You are pure hope. You're pure inspiration. And um, the strength and the radiance just, it trumps everything else that you're going through. It Mm -hmm. truly, truly is a privilege. I'm one of those people who will be pulling for you and cheering you on. And um, just keep shining, my sister. You're Mm -hmm. amazing. Well, thank
1: you for your your interest in helping. Tell my story and for your support, it's really neat to see the ripple effect of, of who I, you know, who connects with, um, my experience. And I just love storytelling. So, you know, I appreciate the chance to, to share it here today. Well, thank you. Thank you so much and be well.
0: Thank you. Okay. I told you she was next level. To close, I'd like to read Laura's birthday post over Thanksgiving that she shared on Instagram. Celebrating 45 years surrounded by family, sand between my toes, refreshing ocean waves crashing over my swollen legs, and a spectacular sunset. Grateful for the gift of growing older. While my body is weak, my spirit is strong, joyful, and bursting with love love for this life, the people who surround me, the adventures shared and the easy laughter. What a beautiful, messy experience it has to be. Each day is a gift. Don't take your breath, strength, energy, or future for granted. Life is fragile. Celebrating the day I was born while we anticipate my death, all part of the grand experience of being human, holding both fear and joy in the same hand at the same time. What a beautiful, brutal thing. To connect with Laura on Instagram, Laura underscore McGregor, and that's L A R A underscore M A C Gregor, G R E G O R. On the web, you can find her at lauramcgregor.com. And her nonprofit, Hope Scarves, H O P E S C A R V E S dot org. To connect with yours truly, rena olsoncom and that is R E N A O L S E N dot com. And did you hear? I'm starting something new come early 2022 called Maturus, and that is M A T U R U S dot net, to sign up for email updates. I'm Rena Olson, and this is Relevate, and soon to be Maturest. Thank you to my guest, Lara McGregor, so, so much.